0: All right, good morning, everyone. Well, I'd just like to start off, you've got about 20 of uh members from our church at the uh, retreat center where we've been the past three days uh, at St. Andrew's Abbey up in Valermo on the back side of the Angels National Forest. So, Lord, I just ask that you bless um all of those who are gathering together, God, at that little abbey, Lord, they're sharing communion now and finishing off the retreat. and God, I thank you for this weekend and and, uh, God, all that you imparted, all that you taught us, all that you showed us, all the inspiration and joy of uh, being together up there. We pray as they cap off this weekend, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would bless them richly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Fascinating study, uh, this Sunday. Uh, and it's a, it's a, most of you who know me know that if I had one book to teach, it'd be the book of Acts. So what we're looking at is this period of time between Passover and Pentecost. Passover can also, we could also say the death and resurrection of Jesus to Pentecost. So Passover to Pentecost or the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus to Pentecost, is, it's all the same thing. And all of these feasts that we talk about all have great fulfillment. And if I have time at the end of my message, uh, I'm going to uh, give you some insight and some teaching on the feasts because I think they're an overlooked and somewhat neglected area of uh, <laughs> study in the body of Christ. And it's a, it's a, when you look at the feast. And you see how every single part and piece of the feast has some fulfillment in Christ. It's a very, very exciting study. But what we're looking at uh, today is this amazing period of Jesus dying, being raised, teaching, ascending, and the disciples and apostles 10 days together in the upper room, and then the day of Pentecost comes uh, in Acts chapter 2. And the church is born. If if you wondered what the day of Pentecost is, if you're not familiar with that term, it's the day the church was born. And the church is called, uh, in various uh, designations in the New Testament, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It's called the family of God. And uh, we're going to look at it today from a couple of different uh, angles. I think I'll start off uh, my message this morning with a little story that I think beautifully ties in to uh, what the message will be this morning. This glorious time of God moving. And some scholars believe, and I tend to lean this direction, that the primary purpose of creation was that God was looking for an eternal companion for his son. And there is a famous book that is, uh, the foreword is written by Billy Graham called Destined for the Throne by a man named Paul Bilheimer that if you ever get a chance to read that book, you read it. Because it really brings to clarity that one, if not the main purpose of creation was creating an eternal companion, the bride of Christ, for Jesus. And that's something we could talk about. We could have many messages on that. But I am want to take you back to uh, uh, early summer, late spring day in 1973. It was actually uh, in the evening. And there was a Bible study that was taking place uh, at the end of the street where I now live on Canyon Acres Drive was in an old dilapidated building an old rustic uh, two-story had actually been a storehouse and a few believers had rented it and they were starting to meet there and it was the very beginnings of Laguna Church a church I ended up pastoring for a number of years that night the man bringing the message was J. Michael Montgomery who was the former pastor of this church and I just flew to Florida last month and did his and did his uh, service. He was giving a message out of Genesis chapter 24, and in that chapter we see the patriarch Abraham sends his most trusted servant to find a bride for his son Isaac. And it's a long chapter, and it's a beautiful chapter. And to make a long story and long chapter short the servant does find this beautiful woman, Rebecca, and he brings her back, and she's joined to Isaac, and it's quite a romantic story, and it's a beautiful story. So at the end of the message, Mike gives the New Testament analogy to Abraham sending his servant to find a bride for his son by saying, God the Father has sent the Holy Spirit into the earth to find a bride for his son, the Lord Jesus, and that bride is the church. And he talked about the beauty of the bride, the beauty of the church, that Jesus came and died for the church, that he could purchase for the church and the people of God this eternal companion, this bride, this one that's called in the New Testament the bride of Christ. And you see at the end of the book of Revelation, in the last chapter, in the last couple of paragraphs, it's the spirit and the bride says come. At the end of the book, what is there? It is the spirit and it's the bride. And this is what we're looking at. This is what we're talking about. The power of the Holy Spirit to create the bride of Christ, which is going to be born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But our focus this morning is on Acts chapter 1. And this 50-day period, it was 50 days, between Jesus dying and being resurrected, and then Pentecost coming. Pentecost, the word literally means... Fiftieth. There's 50 days. And all these feasts have great pro- prophetic significance to it. So, uh, last week Jeff looked at a part of uh, Acts chapter 1, kind of gave a Mother's Day message. And now today I'm going to take a, a, another look at Acts chapter 1 because I think it's important for us to get ready, to prepare ourselves, which is exactly what the apostles and disciples were doing, that they would prepare themselves for what God is going to bring. It is going to, it is going to be a climactic moment in the church where God comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and everything changes. Everything changes. I was at the retreat and we did a little reading at the retreat from Colossians 1. It's Paul's famous prayer in chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And in that, uh, in that uh, passage... It talks about Paul praying for the church that they would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, this is really what the Christian life is. The Christian life is not you living it. The Christian life is God living through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you understand that, when you get that, when you really know that I don't have what it is in me to really live the Christian life, when you know it has to be God through you, that God has to speak through you, God has to live for, through you to to live and experience the Christian life, everything changes. You're not striving and fretting and working hard to please God. You're, there's a famous book by uh, a uh, this is before the Reformation by a, a, a mystic named Fenelon, who who just talks about this. Uh, over and over, this connection with God by the power of the Holy Spirit, of letting go and letting God. If you don't remember anything that I say this morning, remember this, when you walk home, I've got to let go, and I've got to let God. And that's going to be hard for some of you, like it is for me, for people like me who tend to be somewhat controlling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you can ask my wife. I, I try to control everything in my life and I can't quite do it. But if, if you tend to be controlling, then you try to control your Christian life also. So Mike gave this analogy about God the Father sending the Holy Spirit into the church to find a bride for his, for his son, the Lord Jesus, and uh, he, he, asked, he gave an invitation. And he asked, he asked, uh, is there anybody here Who would like to yield their life to Christ And would like to become a part of the Bride of Christ And this really cute hippie chick that was there Raised her hand She raised her hand And at that moment She became a part of the Bride of Christ And I actually baptized her the next day And I'm going to tell you the rest of the story At the end of my message (laughs) We'll tell the rest of the story then. But what we want to look at now is, uh, is a, a, a review of the first chapter of the book of Acts. This is, the, uh, this is the bridge from the Gospels to the book of Acts. This is the bridge from Jesus' life to the apostles now taking the power of the Holy Spirit and moving across the face of the earth, which is what they'll do through the book of Acts. So what I'd like to do now is uh, put up uh, our first uh, PowerPoint, uh, which is the first two verses, and Jeff touched on this last week. Uh, The first two verses, as you know in the Gospel of Luke, that Luke wrote to a friend called Theophilus. And his first account, of course, is the book that we just finished. The book we just finished was the Gospel of Luke. And Luke wrote that book to his friend Theophilus, and now he writes... His second book, Acts, is just an extension of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, at the end of at the end of Luke, there's some parallel passage in Luke 2: Acts 1, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. A couple of uh, interesting things to note. He writes, "In my first account, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things which Jesus did and taught until the day he ascended to heaven." after first instructing his chosen apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we learn two things in this, these first two verses that are, I think are fascinating. First thing is, Jesus did a lot of teaching. He taught, uh, and we see this in more than just this first verse, but he taught. But what I think is really interesting is the last little phrase. He taught by the power of of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus himself needed the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit? But you say, but Jesus was God. Yes, the incarnation, Jesus is both God and man, and my theological little statement of Jesus as being both God and man is that Jesus was uh, undefiled, a deity, a true and real humanity, combined in one person forever, He came to this earth and when you look at Hebrews and a couple other passages, he experienced life like we experience it. And he trusted his father and he taught by the power that the father sent to him. You know, the Old Testament didn't just show up on the the day of Pentecost, by the way. The Old Testament is found from the very first verse in Genesis. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the earth. The Holy Spirit is found in the lives of the prophets and and uh, David and so many others. But the Holy Spirit comes in a new way in the New Testament. And Jesus himself, the great kenosis passage in Philippians 2 where we read about Jesus emptying himself and becoming a servant and dying on a cross. Uh, this is what this is talking about. Jesus was ministering to his apostles and his disciples who were there by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, well, what, what was Jesus teaching them? And we have some good insight into what he was teaching, and I want to I put this up for you. There are two accounts of his instruction to the apostles. The first one is found at the end of the Gospel of Luke, which I want to reread. I think we read it two or three weeks ago, but I want to read it again. There is some stunning things here told us in this passage in Luke. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. And he says to his disciples, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things written about me in the law of Moses, now now look closely at what I'm reading now. Jesus is telling them, if you are looking closely and reading closely uh, uh, about me, uh, you'll find me in the law of Moses and the prophets And the Psalms. And that those things that were spoken of me must be fulfilled. And then here comes one of the most important sentences you'll find in all of scripture. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that is my prayer for myself all the time. That's my prayer for you and for me. That God would open are mine. So you can say, "Well, I've read, uh, you know, I've read the Bible and I've gone through it, you know, and I kind of know what it says." You guys, the Bible is so deep. It's got so many layers. Somebody once said it's like an onion. You can just peel the layers off an onion and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. It is endless what you can find, discover and glean in the word of God. But these prophecies about Jesus that had to be fulfilled, we'll talk about that in just a minute, are in the hundreds. And you, just, you read through the Old Testament, you go, well, I didn't see that, I didn't see that. Some of them are clear, like where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and then his sufferings, the, the suffering servant passage in Isaiah 53, and riding on a donkey into Jerusalem on the triumphal entries found in Zechariah. There's all kinds of things that are fairly clear. But there are, or, or take Psalm 22, in which there's a greater account of the sufferings of Jesus than any place in the New Testament. There is a more, you see Jesus speaking to himself, looking down from the cross and seeing in Psalm 22, something that's not described at all in the New Testament. It is fascinating to go through the Old Testament and find references to Christ, but this opening their minds to understand the scriptures That's my biggest prayer for us this morning is that God would open our minds and we would have revelation of what the word of God is saying. We can glean primary meaning. Most all of you in this room can glean primary meaning when you read through a passage. But you need to read through a passage and then you need to read through a passage and then you need to read through a passage and then then it'd be good to read through a passage again and it'd be good to read through the passage a lot of times till you start to find the hidden gold, the treasure that's in there. It's there. It's there. He opened their minds to understand the Scripture. This is a prayer. I'm gonna. I, I have a little prayer sheet at home. I'm writing this one down. God, today, would you open my mind to what the Word of God is saying? Because you can sit here and hear a nice message, and you think, well, there's nothing much more the passage that Jay's teaching, you guys, there, there is so much beauty to be found in the word of God, uh, it is an exhausting, I believe it will be an exhausting journey, not just in this life, but in the next life, the next life, and who knows if we're not writing Acts 29 ourselves, well, you never know, I've heard that said before, all right, so, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Here's the basic gospel, everybody. You want to know what the basic gospel is? Here it is. Thus it was written that Christ should suffer and rise again the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations starting in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the gospel. Jesus died. He resurrected. You preach a, a message of his life you call people to repentance if they are open to repenting from their sins god releases forgiveness and they become a part of the body of christ or the bride of christ so this is what jesus was speaking to them uh, after he was resurrected opening their minds to the scriptures and this is kind of piggybacking off of his uh, off of his uh, encounter with the two uh disciples on the road to Emmaus so the second section that I want to look at, next slide is from Acts 1 and uh, uh, we looked at this a little bit last week I'm going to take another uh, look at it from a different angle today, Jesus showed himself alive to his apostles appearing to them for 40 days so I told you Pentecost took place 50 days after Passover Pentecost takes place 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, but he's only going to stay with them 40 days. So they're going to have 10 days on their own. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But he's with them, showing them. That this is, I think this is really interesting. Like This is the most interesting thing I've been studying for years, this certain passage right here. I found like, these little hidden nuggets. Jesus showed himself alive to his apostles. And they all, had, they all gave witness to, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, there's a whole list, a long litany of people that he saw. And I love, I love the fact that, who did he appear to first? No. I'm talking about in the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a list of people that he appeared to. The person he appeared to first was Peter. Because Peter was probably hiding under a rock somewhere <laughs> after he had denied him three times, thinking... Have have any of you ever been in a place where you thought, like, it's over? It's over. My life is over as a Christian. I'm just done. Like, I've messed up, screwed up. God's done. I'm just going to be something else. I can't be a Christian. And then Peter goes, like, I I stood up at the Lord's table. I said, though everybody deny you, it won't be me. (laughs) And he found, Jesus found Peter under a rock, probably weeping his eyes out. This is the kind of Savior we serve. He goes after the one who's screwed up the most. All right? I want to tell you this. Jesus goes after the one who's messed up the most, who was most broken, most hurt, who's been most betrayed, most devastated. He goes after that person. He always has, and he always will. And wherever you are today, if you're messed up, you've sinned, you've dropped the ball, God is a God of first, second, third, tenth, and fifteenth chances. He won't give up on you. That famous uh, poem, is it by Longfellow, The Hound of Heaven? I can't remember. This famous poem, The Hound of Heaven, that God just is relentless. If you are his, he's coming after you, wherever you are. And so he first appeared to Peter. So Jesus shows himself alive to his apostles, appearing to them for 40 days. He was eating with them. Wow, that's pretty cool. Jesus is in a glorified body. He's in the kind of body you and I will have when we go to heaven. And what that tells me, and there's also at the end of John, you remember John says Peter and John are fishing and Jesus is on the beach cooking fish for them? We're going to eat in heaven. (laughs) I like to eat. I'm glad we're going to eat in heaven. (laughs) So, So, don't you think that, like, this is so cool of the Holy Spirit in, in releasing scripture to us and just inserting that. Uh, yeah, he was eating with them. I, I, I love that. He was eating with them and teaching about God's kingdom, commanding them not to leave Jerusalem but wait for what the Father had promised. All right, so now this is, grab onto this one if you can. Jesus has been teaching his disciples for three years, right? Day and night, they live with him. Like they saw miracle after miracle. They heard the best teaching you could possibly hear. And Jesus said, you're not ready to go anywhere. You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go and wait. You wait for what the Father has promised. And believe you me, it was a worthwhile wait. Amen? It was a worthwhile wait because the Holy Spirit will come and Peter, who denied Jesus three times, is a stand out in the streets of Jerusalem and preach the most powerful message you could imagine and 3,000 people will come to Christ and he will speak to the very people who he was afraid of on the night of Jesus' trial. It is so cool. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but wait for what the Father promised. For John baptized with water... But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you shall receive power. You shall receive power. You shall receive power. The word power is dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. When you receive power from God, it's a dynamite experience. It's an experience of you know it's not you, it's God. You will receive power. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. What Jesus is saying to them is you really can't be my witnesses in the effective way that I'm calling you to be until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here's a really silly illustration. But if, if uh, uh, I was coming back the other day and my light came on on my gas tank in my car, and I knew that I only had about maybe five minutes in my car to get to a gas station. And my car runs out of gas. It's going nowhere. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the gasoline in our life. All right? You're not going... You, you can, you, I could push my car. I could pedal along maybe if I'm going on a little bit of a slant, you know, coast down somewhere. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything for God. And if this message that I'm speaking right now has no unction of the Holy Spirit uh, in it, then all you're getting is a nice J message. And I can create messages easy. I've been doing it for a long time. But what I pray for, when I had every, and everybody who's prayed for me this week, I said, God, please, I don't want it to be J. I want it to be the power of the Holy Spirit that your hearts would be inspired and you would feel like God has spoken to you, that the word of God's become alive. I do not want to give you Jay's words. I want to give you God's words. And the words that God gives us, when they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, change us. We grow. We become different. Man should not live by bread alone, said Jesus, but by every word that proceeds out of my mouth. And if you're feeling dry this morning, you're feeling a little thirsty, a little hungry, you just need to sit down and set for yourself a course of the word of God Which will begin to feed your spirit Your spirit is withering If you're feeling dry It's because your spirit is withering From lack of the living word of God Being there and feeding it And So, so why I love I love to teach Is because The beauty of God's word Is transforming Transforming Alright uh, Next slide Uh, Man, thank you. So I want to give you uh, a uh, summary. I want to give you a summary of the teaching that uh, Jesus did while he was here during his 40 days. It's not that he didn't teach other things. It's not that he didn't teach other things, but these were the primary things that he taught. Number one, uh, we just read that Jesus said, all the things that were written about me in the law of Moses uh, in the prophets and in the Psalms he said, those are the things I'm teaching you about now. So he taught them about the uh, Old Testament biblical prophecies. There are 300 plus. There are 300 plus. Yeah, and if you guys want to uh, take a snapshot on your iPhone, you can like do a further study of this. There are 300 plus references, and there's some good books out there, by the way, that will take you through each one of them. 300 Old Testament references to the direct coming of Christ. It's a Fabulous way that God has uh, prepared the earth for Jesus's coming in predicting in over 300 ways He would come. Secondly, what Jesus taught was He gave them revelation of God's word. He gave them the understanding of God's word. Now you know the Pharisees, uh, who were you know the the, the great instigators who came against Jesus day after day, they had the, the Old Testament scriptures memorized. They, they knew the scriptures, but they knew them here, you guys. They had them memorized in their head, but a lot of them didn't have it in their heart. And so Jesus was giving them revelation of God's word and then opening their minds to understanding the word of God. The third thing he talked about was repentance, forgiveness, uh, and salvation, of course, which is the basic message. Chris sang this morning, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on on us and have mercy on those we've been praying for. So that was the third part. Number four, there was the call to the apostles to be witnesses to sharing the gospel. Number five was the teaching of God's kingdom because they kept asking before Jesus was crucified and then kept asking after he was crucified, is it now that your kingdom would come, that Jesus would set up a kingdom on earth and evil would be vanquished and everything that we're hoping for, at the return of Christ now would take place and Jesus said, it's not now. It's not going to be now. The rule and reign of God on the earth, the clear, full rule and reign of God without any interference from the enemy is coming later he said. And then number six is the promise of the Holy Spirit coming, which I've been talking about. And then there's a seventh that I think is below here that we, we don't have, which he was teaching about the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the kind of a summary of what Jesus was teaching. All right, when he finished his 40 days of teaching, remember I said there's a 50-day period between Passover and Pentecost, There's how many days left now? There's 10 days left. And let's uh, first watch, uh, read about Jesus' ascension first um, because this is interesting also. After he finished his teaching on his 40th day, after saying this, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they gazed intently into the sky two men in white garments, two angels, said what I think is the silliest thing that I've ever heard in my life. i like, what, what else would you do? He says, why do you stand looking into the sky? <laughs> wouldn't you, if all of a sudden Jesus lifted and took off, wouldn't you be looking? Uh, I would. Um, and then they, then they give us a clue about Jesus' return. This same Jesus taken from you will return in just the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. So that gives us a clue that Jesus left and, and everybody there saw him. And when he returns, he's also going to be seen. So you might have wondered one time in your life, well, how could everybody see Jesus return when he returns? Now, I think with technology, I think we all know that we can. maybe we, don't, we won't even need technology. I don't know. But we're going to see him when he returns. We're going to see him when he returns, and that's and that's. I think I probably should put a little disclaimer in here. Uh, there's a lot of people who just just say, "I just wish Jesus would return, and this whole thing would be over, and we could all go to heaven right now." And you know, I just think there's a lot. I I, I think I think that there is a a sense of futility now about life and I would like to challenge us that God is still alive and the Holy Spirit is still on the earth and there can still be the most exciting time of history for us still coming that we don't want to get beat down by the news and the things that bother us the culture and society we don't want to get beat down that probably for many of us our best days are ahead You go, well, that's that's impossible. I don't think the best days can ever be ahead. I'm telling you, there's going to be some great days ahead for all of you. It may not be the best, but there'll be some great days. If you can just live with some hope. Is God alive? Yes, Yes, God's alive. Is there anything impossible with God? No, No, nothing's impossible. Are all things possible with God? Yes, Yes, all things are possible. Can you trust God? Yeah, do you think we know more about life than God knows? No, we don't know it's all going to blow up and everything's going to be dark, right? You can all change and everything can be glorious. So I want to live for a glorious future while I'm alive. I'm only going to be alive 20 years or 15 years or however long I live. Toby said when she prayed her prayer, everybody from what, 1 to 100? Well, I'm probably the closest one to 100 here. (laughs) If I live to be 100, I want to live it, I want to go for it. I wanna live live with everything I have for God. I wanna shine like a light. This is what I wanna do. I don't know if I will. I hope I do. I'm gonna shine like a light. I wanna be encouraging. I wanna bless. I wanna help. I don't wanna sit around and go, oh, I I just wish the timetable would tick down that Jesus would come tomorrow, please, Jesus. I don't wanna live like that. If Jesus comes tomorrow, great. That's, That's God's plan. But I wanna challenge you to not live in futility. To not live with a sense like there's no hope in life because everything is so messed up out there and I can't watch the news. Yeah, there's some really bad, there's some tough stuff that comes up on the news. There is. I'm not denying that. But there's been times of history that are just as dark. You go back to the Great Awakening in the 17th century, 80% of England were alcoholics. I mean, there's there's some, been some tough, tough times. All right, so. Next slide. The 10-day wait. What did the apostles do during the 10-day wait? This is one of the single most exciting uh, 10 days that you could ever possibly imagine. I'm going to talk to you about this a little bit now. And I think that in lots of ways, our church fits pretty well into what we read here. So Jesus said, go and wait In Jerusalem Until what? Until the promise of the Father has come Until the Holy Spirit comes And empowers you To do what I've called you to do So this is what they did During those ten days Then the apostles went back to Jerusalem For the Mount of Olives Three quarters of a mile away I don't even know if it's that far away That's what One commentary I have But I've stood on the Mount of Olives it doesn't even appear that's three quarters of a mile away and looked into Jerusalem. You can hop, skip, and jump down there. It's not that far away. But that's where they were. And so they went back to Jerusalem. And when they when they entered the city, they went up the stairs to an upper room where they were staying. So they, they had already leased or rented this upper room. And they'd been going up there uh, during this time that Jesus had been teaching them for 40 days. And they go they go back to the upper room, and we have listed again as we have had listed a few times in the Gospels, the names of the apostles minus one. So those who were staying there were Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Not Judas who betrayed him, but Judas the son of James. Judas was a very common name back then. So they have these 11... And we're not going to get to it, but from verse 15 to the end of chapter 1 is the choosing of the uh, apostle, a man named Matthias, who will replace Judas, who uh, who uh, committed suicide after uh, he was given the 30 pieces of silver by the Pharisees. So these were all, they all went up into the upper room after Jesus ascended to heaven and... But they weren't alone. Uh, This next verse is like, this next verse is church life at its best. This next verse is like like, if we could grab onto this as a people and live in this, we would do really, really well. I think that we do really, really well on lots of this. So what were they doing? Look at verse 14, this last line here. First, they were all there with one mind. And I put in parentheses there. This is the line that's in the Amplified Bible. They were in full agreement. They were all in this upper room with one mind in full agreement and they were continually. And the word continually means is they just kept at it. They kept at it. They didn't give up for 10 days. They devoted themselves to prayer and with them were some women including Mary, the mother of Jesus and the brothers of Jesus. These are the brothers in the flesh. These are his little, literal brothers that are mentioned uh, elsewhere in the gospel. Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary had both sons and daughters after Jesus was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is one of them. This is James, the, uh, the brother of Jesus. His name was James. So, look, look at this last verse here. That when they were together, they were of one mind. And they, in preparing for this Holy Spirit to come, Knew there was one thing that they had to do, that they needed to pray. Now, I want you to know that a praying church is going to be a fruitful church. A praying church. When a church prays, there's nothing that God can't do. Amen. When a when, when, uh, if so, I'll put it like this, and I I know it's very simple. If you believe prayer is important, then what you are really saying is, I I really need God in my life to work this out. And if you don't pray, even though you might not consciously say it like this, you're basically saying, I can handle life myself, I don't need God at all, if you don't pray. I've been there. I've had times where I, you know, it was a long time ago, but where I thought, well, I can just handle this. Big mistake, big mistake So, I'm going to uh, put the next slide up, Dan uh, Preparing for Pentecost in three ways They gathered together daily And this is church life This is the ekklesia In Greek, the word ekklesia means gathered ones The, the people of God, the, the, the church They gathered together daily They were of one mind unified in an agreement, that's like, that's like a miracle, that's like a miracle. Uh, Now, we like to, we like to boast a little bit and brag in a, I think, healthy way, a good way, that we're a diverse church of people from all kinds of different streams. When I was at the retreat, I was at the retreat on Friday and Saturday, I drove back last night because I had to speak this morning. so I, I saw the contemplative stream. and I come from a charismatic stream, a vineyard stream, and then there's ba- the Baptist stream, and there's the Catholic stream, and there's this stream and that stream. And I think one of the joys is that we can all be together, whether whoever we are, however we are, whatever stream we're a part of, wherever we've come from, uh, the central we can narrow it all down to. The central thing is, Christ is all in and all. Jesus Christ is our center. And I think there's a lot of peripheral things that are not important. We think they're important, but they're not that important. What's really important is that Jesus came to this earth, he died for our sins, he rose again, and he offers new life to everyone. And if you're here this morning, and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, like this is the day, the best day of your life. If you could say, well, I believe, I, I'm feeling like You know, every one of us inside, we have this emptiness. We try to fill it with alcohol or drugs, you know, or food or sex or something. And we always end up frustrated. There's only one person who can come in and fill that emptiness inside. Augustine said it was a God-shaped vacuum. Only one person can do that. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, that when he comes into your life, you're never the same again. He cleanses you from all, sh- all sin, all shame, all self-co- self-condemnation. And he says, I give you a new life. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If you want that in your life, if you're tired of going after life your own way, doing it your own self, trying to figure out what to do, what should I, where shall I move next? What should, it doesn't matter where you move. It doesn't matter what job you get next. I don't care what it is that you're thinking about doing. Only Jesus Christ can give you a new life. And if you're here today and you've never asked Christ into your life, I encourage you to do it right now. You don't have to say anything more than, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I want to give my life to you. and I want to receive your life back. If that's you today, pray that little prayer. And you can enter into these things I'm talking about. The power of the Holy Spirit. And so much more that we'll be talking about in the future. So the fact that we are we are as of much one mind as we possibly can be with all our diversity, uh, I applaud us for that. But we want to stay true to the central tenets of the Word of God. So they were of one mind, unified in agreement, and they consecrated themselves to prayer. So I don't know what your prayer life is like. You know, it says in 1 Thessalonians. 517, too, that we should pray continually, pray without ceasing. And, of course, that doesn't mean that we don't do anything else. But it, what it means is we have a lifestyle of, of prayer. And this church, it prays a lot. We you know, we ask you, Kelly asked you for blue cards, write down your request on blue cards today. Uh, we meet every, uh, every morning for an hour. This church meets every morning for an hour in the upper room up the stairs, back side of the church, and we have been for over 15 years. We pray every single day for an hour for for 15 years. We have people praying, uh, uh, we have people praying uh, in crisis prayer, where there's a crisis prayer, we have 100 people on a prayer list. There's prayer everywhere in this church, and I think it's one of the reasons for all and any of the good things that God's done, it's been through prayer. All right, uh, I'm not gonna have time uh, I'm not going to have time to talk to me about the feast. I want to finish my, st- my story. <laughs> about the young lady who raised her hand. And she raised her hand, and she had a vision, and in the vision, uh, as she's coming out of the vision, uh, God says to her, now that you've met my son, I want to introduce you to the man you're going to marry. And Mickey McKenna, at that point, uh, said, uh, Nicky, I wanted to introduce you to Jay Grant, and so Nikki knew on that night that she would be my wife eventually. But she never said a word to me. Yeah, and it wasn't until a Christmas Eve of later that year that I asked her to marry me. She already knew, already God had already spoken to her. She was a part of the bride of Christ, and all was a picture of what uh, our life would be together.